at least I'm still a teacher. At least Hi, and welcome to episode four of Carpet Time Confessions. I'm Deja. And I'm Tyler. And we are back again for another episode. How you doing, friend? You know, I've been better. Oh, wow. I've I've only been better because I'm kind of hungry right now. (laughs) What do you have a taste for? Uh, I don't know. Literally anything. I'm... I'm hungry. All I had was some uh, Shake Shack chicken oh. nuggets. Okay. So that means we, we need to keep this brief so <laughs> you can go ahead because <laughs> you are not you when you're hungry. So yeah, that's what Snickers said. <laughs> How, um, any roses, thorns? Um. Yeah. So my thorn is probably that. I wanted to see the movie Vengeance in like the movie theater, but then I feel like they stopped showing it like the day before yesterday and I didn't wake up early enough to go make that show. So now I'm going to have to wait for who knows how long. Oh man. Do movies like, are they in the theater shorter amount of times now? Well, stuff, I don't know how that works because I don't go to movies often. Well, I'm not going to lie. I really don't know how wide of a release that movie had. And I guess if I looked harder, I could probably find it at another theater. It's just like not at the one I wanted to go to. I understand. Um, but yeah, I honestly, because the only place I ever saw the movie advertised was at that movie theater, like oh, <laughs> in man. the previews of other movies. I never just like ran across an ad for it online or like in some random commercial or anywhere else so like that was kind of weird either way it goes i still want to see it and i guess i'll figure it out um and i think that my rose is going to be one of my former students reaching out to me for advice um with like some college stuff how cute um and so i talked to them and honestly they're doing way too much way too much on their plate and if you're listening you know you put too much on your plate yikes i'm not getting called out no because Deja, it was literally ridiculous like they just kept listing things and I was like, when is it going to end? Like, what do you mean that you're taking 18 credit hours, but the schedule that you sent me the screenshot of doesn't include the three to five seminar that you have to do for mentoring on the, I don't know what day of the week it was, could have been like Mondays, right? And I'm like, every Monday? And they said, yes, every Monday. And then it doesn't include you working at the urgent care that you're going to drop the days down to to once a week, which honestly just quit that job. Um, <laughs> like that's not included on there. At least your You heard me, I'm saying at least your job. And then, like, also not included on this list is um, the the shadowing that they want to do. No, 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 no. Also, I don't know who this is. Of course, you know who it is. And also not included on this list is oh, the lab research thing. And they were getting they want to join this bio lab. They're already in a psychiatry, a psychology one. But then in the psychology lab, they're getting like a promotion to like. I don't remember what it, I don't, research something, but it's like, it might've been research, no, coordinator, research coordinator, going from assistant to coordinator. And it's like, that's going to take more time. They have to get trained. And then talking about volunteering on the weekend. When are you going to sleep? When exactly? And they're like, you know, sometimes I fall asleep in class or <laughs> when I'm doing the other things I need to do for myself, but never when I'm doing group work. No, 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 no. You got something's got to give. Yes, because you need some rest because I know who you are and I care about you. You need some rest. Release that job. 
release the release 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 a (laughs) class release something's got to give and that's what i was saying i was like you can't just keep you can't take more things on without getting rid of something yeah um but so it is Rosie that um I still like have a relationship with the student and that um even after they've graduated multiple years students still feel comfortable like asking for help or things like that so that just made me feel good that's lovely I love that for you thank you my thorn I'll start it's very small I went to get my second booster shot and my arm is so sore that's I mean small problem you know but yeah just my thorn being that my arm is sore because I got another booster my rose is that I have a upcoming vacation coming up that I am so excited for because the last vacation that was supposed to be a vacation wasn't a vacation (laughs) and it was not I'm so ready for a redo so I am going on vacation next week yeah in like a week and I have a lot of stuff to do now that I just say a week. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Time is really dwindling <laughs> down on that. So yeah, I'm very excited and looking forward to that. So glad you're going to have that experience. Love that for you. I know. I know. I can't wait. All right. So getting into the news update for the week, I'm not going to read through the post this week. It is from Education Week, written by the Associated Press. And the article is titled... Post or graduation post pandemic, I really didn't learn anything. And one, this caught my eye, well, for two different reasons. One, because this is something that our guests later, I feel like, will, it'll tie really well into the two people that we'll be talking to or interviewing a little bit later. And also, this is a huge thing that I feel like you could speak a lot <laughs> to. <laughs> Um, dealing with students who are, you know, in high school and you teach kids, not just freshmen or sophomore, but you've taught pretty much all levels. Have you taught seniors? A few, right? Yeah. I've always had a handful of seniors. So with how everything is going, how have you seen education really shift post pandemic with like the upper level kids and kids who are getting ready to graduate um, and things like that? Because the student in the article was from the university, attends the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And oh, was wow. kind of, right. So <laughs> it was just like that just aligned perfectly for the guests. But this student specifically was kind of just discussing how college was really hard when you came from two years of, did I really learn anything? Yet? Like, was I in class or was I asleep? Because right. we were on Zoom. I don't know. But how do you feel that affected either your school or your kids, like you still keep in contact with some of them and they were affected by that. Um, well, yeah, but like, and not just them, it's still like every student that is in my building is still affected by it because yeah. at some point they were the kids on Zoom or not on Zoom because they didn't join. <laughs> but the idea of, there's this like idea of like learning loss that occurred in those months of those being, two words, like, learning loss. Mm-hmm. When I tell you I didn't want to hear those two words <laughs> because of how overused they were when I was in school like that first semester coming back, mm-hmm. everything was learning loss. This I don't want to hear the words learning or loss. That immediate shutdown into COVID in March of 2020 uh, left everything just 
in complete disarray. No one knew what they were doing. No one knew how to transfer. Well, most schools and most systems didn't know how to transfer immediately over to giving any sort of sustainable or actual like education still. It just became more about caring about social emotional well-being because of the way that the pandemic was affecting literally everyone and their families and all these other things outside of education where many kids couldn't even focus on learning a new uh, content skill because like family members are literally dying like mm-hmm. and being in New York where it was like the epicenter in the you know that time yeah so much was going on in New York specifically because that's where it was really taken off in the beginning here for us in the U.S. so I can only imagine how your students were feeling or you know the things that they were going through with their families right ridiculous That made it, well, I can imagine nearly impossible to actually learn something, especially with the fact that we weren't meeting like live, like at the same time as our students, we were offering office hours and posting asynchronous work, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't that time, like making sure that a kid could really understand it. Like in the moment, it was more of like, I watched this video and I still don't really get it. Mm -hmm. And so that being like, well, it wasn't really half a year. It was like a quarter and a bit, right? That being that much of the year and then the next year. Um, delaying the start of school, having that hybrid learning model where that also didn't really work that well. Like it worked better than what was going on at the end of the um the 2019-2020 school year. But that like 2020-2021 was also a loss, like as a year a in general. Loss. Complete loss. Just That's- like a wash because what the kids are coming back, we don't know what they went through over the summer really. Uh, Could have been anything, could have been horrible and a lot of times it was probably really bad mm-hmm. and so they don't remember anything from the last chunk of the year because we learned nothing new and so much time has passed that they no longer remember anything from the beginning part of that year and right. I'm a math teacher it all <laughs> builds and it yeah. builds it literally the skills just keep building and if they don't have them what are we we're not building from anything we have to start fresh everywhere yeah. we're starting fresh everywhere and what does that fresh start mean we're not getting to the end of what we need to get to And that kind of goes into a conversation that I was having yesterday via Instagram with someone. Um, One of my profites in my sorority was talking about she is an administrator. Well, I'm a a part of an admin team for a high school. And she was kind of just on social media, just talking about the difficulty right now of being an educator with all of the expectations that you have and specifically in reading, because coming from the early childhood background that I have, um, teaching reading is a mess (laughs) in Texas. Like I know it's a mess everywhere. I understand that, but that 2020, 2020, 2021 school year where I was teaching second grade. And by then you literally want kids to learn how to comprehend in third grade. Like, no, no, no. Phonics is not taught anymore. You have to have it by the end of second grade so that when you go to third grade, we're not teaching you how to read, baby. You are in here reading. These kids miss a whole half of a year (laughs) in first grade. Mm-hmm. And when the conversation or the question that I kept posing to my admin, my teacher specialist, my coworkers that we will always have was, how do we make up for that? How do I get them already when there's such a limited time and something like reading, like you can't just learn to read. No, there's a whole process to that for at least the way that it should go. 
And we were already doing it wrong here in schools, the way that you want it to happen. So now it's like, well, we were doing it wrong. They missed a chunk. And now you want us to just pick up where they left off. These kids are not ready for second grade. And so I constantly had to fight that battle of trying to really say that and mean it. Like, no, when I say my kids are not ready, I mean that. So now I need you to help me figure out how we could figure this out to make it more manageable for them, because that's what I'm here for. I don't want them to go to the next grade level and struggle. And because I looped with them, I was able to see how some of them, the ones, the 12 that I got in person, 13 that came in person with me, mm-hmm. they made tremendous growth only because there were 13 of y'all. <laughs> like right. the numbers were so much smaller. But then also I had to work like double as hard mm-hmm. just to get y'all to a place where I felt like you'll be able to grasp the work at this grade level because no, we weren't allowed to go back. And I specifically asked like, Oh, can we go back and work on this or work on these phonics skills? Like how are we going to put phonics time into our reading block with reading and writing and grammar and all of these other things? And it was just like, figure it out. Even if it's five minutes a day, Mm. Five minutes of phonics. <laughs> they need five hours. <laughs> like, yeah, what, is, what is this five minutes of phonics going to do? And I have to teach reading comprehension all day and they can't read it. Like, <laughs> it was just so frustrating. And so from just the reading perspective too, like it, it is just a building block. Mm-hmm. You have to just go through these steps to get them there. And when we miss the steps, then it's like, then what? But no one has any answers. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knew what to do for you either. Like, And your kids, they're just old enough to make the decision. This is hard for me. I'm not going to show up. (laughs) I'm not going to get on live. I'm not going to complete the work because I'm already struggling personally Mm -hmm. if something's going on at home, COVID or non-COVID related. Because guess what? People still have problems that didn't relate to COVID during COVID. Right. That wasn't wasn't everyone's main focus 24-7. I have to learn how to be a student online when what if I need to be in person to like really get this? It's just too many pieces. And so where does that, how do we fix that? Or when well, will it be fixed? Exactly. Because we pandemic when we're still here. Because we definitely haven't fixed it. And then the, the, the fix is just making sure that no one gets left behind. Like literally. And everyone, like- is, everyone is left behind because even the kids who are on level, you know, I feel like they get left behind to a certain extent too. Yeah. I meant that we pass them. I, I meant. Oh, like move them to the next grade. Yes. I, that's oh. what I meant. No one gets held back. We just move them along. Yeah. And, and they did know. that here too. I just think that it is unfortunate that kids leave knowing that they don't know anything. And I mean, it's like, well, I don't know if it's better to be self-aware or ignorant because I know sometimes when kids leave, I'm like, yikes, you really don't know a lot of this stuff. And I know that I teach math and it's different. And no, I obviously don't think that every kid should be able to apply every single math concept that I taught them by the end. But math really does teach you some problem solving and critical thinking skills. Yeah. And just seeing the lack of critical thinking skills that these kids end up graduating with um, and just like not really knowing how to use their resources 
classes or it's just it's just really unfortunate and I don't think that we actually do them any favors by not like holding them back mm-hmm. but it's not that I necessarily think holding them back would do them any favor. favors then mm-hmm. either um it's something that completely needs to be restructured and reworked and I don't even know where to begin but it's Literally. just a very unfortunate situation yeah it, it really is and <clears throat> Everything needs to be reworked. Like, where do you begin? There's so really? many things that need to be re- reworked. Everything I wouldn't even reworked. know where to start. Like, how do you fix this? <laughs> it's like, what's good? Like, what, what, is, what, what is good? What does need to be fixed? Oh, questions that need answers. Maybe right. one, day. one day. Okay, so this week we'll be interviewing Adriana and Taylor, who attended the University of Wisconsin for grad school and had experiences TAing in different courses. When we begin every interview, we want to start first with our word association. So we're going to kick it off with that. Y'all ready? Yeah. You know the rules. There's not many rules. I'm going to say a word, and then you're going to say a word. Okay. Okay. Are we supposed to tag team? Uh, you're just both gonna say a word, and if we have follow up questions about that, we'll ask them. Okay. okay. So whatever word she says, just say the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear it. All right. First word is Wisconsin. Trash. <laughs> Did she say trash? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that I was so right. <laughs> It's fine. I have zero follow-up questions about it. I understand. <laughs> Home. Changing. Stress. <laughs> okay. No follow-ups. Maybe. No follow-ups. <laughs> no follow-ups. Uh, professor. Taylor. <laughs> what did you say? I said Taylor. <laughs> I'm weak. <laughs> Goodbye. And let me say why I say that. Because I think ever since I met her, I just have thought like so highly of her. She's so intellectual, you know, and she just, her name in my phone is Dr. Taylor L. Bailey. Like she just gives us <laughs> vibes. So she's a professor. That's so funny. That, is <laughs> that so funny. She makes a lot of sense. Because it's and true. I'm like, girl, right. not after I the time experience. <laughs> I told you, like, you are a professional at all times, so. Literally at all times. Yep. It's the Capricorn. We need to <laughs> Okay. That's not the game we play. <laughs> <laughs> Education. Challenging. Cool. Art. Creative. Multifaceted. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Big <laughs> words. Big words. Right. Professor now. <laughs> <laughs> English. Literature. Fancy. Okay. And the final word is teacher. Deja. Well, <laughs> fun. Okay. Thank fun. you so okay. much for playing word association with us. That was good. And thank you for saying me. I don't know. I just felt like that was a good thing. And I should be proud that you thought of me when you thought of teacher. All right. Let's talk a little bit about both of y'all's experience because although both of you attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison, both of your journeys there were different. So let's start with Adriana. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to University of Wisconsin-Madison and your journey, <laughs> your journey to teaching. What did that look like for you? Okay, yeah. can I just say that I'm just so Here happy to see her and I'm <laughs> just very happy to hear the story. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, what brought me to UW? So I preface before what brought me. I feel like I was always just a very like bookish intellectual person, which is why I chose like the majors I did. And I also feel like growing up, like a lot of my family was just always like, you're going to be like a teacher, like a preacher someday, that type of thing. And so I think that those little voices definitely like influenced what I wanted to do. But before UW, I went to Ball State University and my major was sociology, um, but my minor was African-American studies. And if my school would have had a like major program for African-American studies. I definitely would have done that. Um, but I will say like two specific professors that I had within that program really like just changed my life. And they both pushed me to become, want to become a teacher or an educator in some fashion. And I'll shout them out, Dr. John Anderson and Dr. Emily Rudder. Um, but it was really the space that they created in their classroom um, for Black students, um, for our creativity, for our imagination, um, for our joy, for our liberation that really like made me feel like there was something for me beyond college. Cause I really, before I joined the African-American studies program, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with the sociology degree. Like, I really don't know. I was just like, I don't really. And also my school wasn't good at supporting students in finding like their next steps after college. Mm -hmm. So those two people really just like opened up my world. And obviously like talking about and learning about black people is like everything for me. So because I also only had a minor in African-American studies, I was like, that's what I want to do for my master's. But I took a gap year um, and that was a whole other thing. And I don't really want to talk about it, but I took a gap year <laughs> so that I could apply to master's programs. And, uh, yeah, I also did a little bit of like teaching in an informal way, um, during that time with, um, my church community, um, did a lot of teaching about Black history and that type of thing. But um, what made me want to come to UW is has nothing to do with UW and all to do with the money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just me, point blank, period. Uh, really, I didn't know that the, you could find a program to pay for you to come here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I also, my, my mentor, Emily Rudder, she was like, make sure you're getting paid to do this. And at first I was like, what? That that's can't be real. Of, yeah. That's what one of my mentors from college also told me. Mm -hmm. And foolishly, I did not follow, I did not follow that advice, but uh, I completely agree with like mm -hmm. understanding where the money resides, where the right. money resides. That is where I will be because school is already expensive, especially mm -hmm. for people who have to pay for an undergraduate degree to then go back to get something else and right. have to pay for it on your own. No, it, it mm -hmm. adds up very quickly and it becomes extremely costly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I will say like, they're obviously not paying well, but they're paying. And so it was like, I was like, I have to, like, I have to go there because I'm not going to be stressing beyond <laughs> if I could take this opportunity. 
So that's why I ended up at UW. Um, And then teaching there, it was actually part of our program. So the first year we were just on fellowship, we were just taking classes. And then the next year, the Tiang was implemented um, into our like time there. Um, So it was a requirement, but also I'm not sure because then somehow they got money for me to be on fellowship, but there was only a couple of us that ended up only having to teach for a semester. It's some shady stuff. I don't really know what happened, but (laughs) so that's why I had to teach. Um, And I think there's some like ups and downs with that of teaching during grad school, but I am glad that I got to have that experience of teaching in some capacity. Um, Yeah, that's kind of how I got there. I don't know if you have more questions about that or that's good. That's good. Thanks. Tyler, what about you? What was your journey to teaching like or to, I guess, University of Wisconsin-Madison first and then, yeah. Yeah, um, I had a similar journey, I would say. I originally had no intention on going to grad school when I initially went to college. So I went in with the intention of going into the publishing world. That was what I wanted to do when I went to college. I was always interested in doing literature, but knowing the person that I was, I was like, I'm going I'm taking some black classes when I get to college. So freshman year, first semester, I was like, I'm just going to do some, um, I'm just going to enroll in these things just because I didn't, I didn't declare, um, a minor or a major in African, African American studies freshman year, but I was just taking those classes. It wasn't until junior year that I declared a minor in AFAS, um, which was pretty much instrumental in getting me to grad school. Um, and then during a year, I ended up double majoring in English and AFAS. Um, and my AFAS professors were the ones that were like, yeah, this is like something that you should be, you should be putting on your radar, um, doing research. They were the ones that were telling me to apply to all the summer research programs and looking into getting serious about, um, looking into grad school as a post undergrad option and I was like oh grad school is a thing like people have degrees like outside of undergrad like I had no idea I mean we're first gen college students so I really had no idea that grad school was an opportunity or that my professors in college either had post-grad degrees like PhDs or, or even master's degrees so that doing research in undergrad really kind of or in having those mentors in the African African American studies department at WashU, obviously being Jala Henderson, shout out to them. If they if they ever listen to this, they're gonna be like, why are you why are you always talking about us? Why are you always talking about us? <laughs> Um, but obviously they were the main people kind of pushing me to apply and like keep doing research. It was really their mentorship that kind of was like pushed me to think about, oh, this was something, this is something that I could really see myself doing. So after, after college ended, we all know my, my journey to, to grad school was a little rough. I applied, did not get in anywhere, which was really terrible. And I think I just applied. I was, it was a little too quick. I had a lot of things going on in college, personal things, school things, 
front mm-hmm. things. It was just a lot going on. Um, and my application just probably wasn't strong, but I took a gap year after, um, college and I reapplied and got in and got two offers that were paid, which was like Adriana was saying, like really important because I did not want to go into debt getting these degrees. And what initially drew me to um, UW was the opportunity to be in the bridge program, which was what I initially enrolled in, which (laughs) which was the opportunity to get a master's degree in Afro-American studies and a PhD in English literary studies. And the fact that they were going to pay for the degree, which is kind of like a give and take. You, It's not just you getting paid to just like sit around and like study. You get paid to do work or you're like an employee of the university. So I TA'd that whole second year um, a literature course in Afro-Am, which was very interesting. I'm sure we'll get into more details about it. But that's pretty much what kind of led me, drew me in. Cool. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, something that both of y'all kind of brought up that listening to the story mentorship was something that was very influential for the both of y'all. I know for myself in college, I had a few mentors also who really kind of helped mold me and push me and help me to figure out certain things that I want to do or my own teaching philosophy and things like that. How do you think being TAs and having students who are fresh out of high school, how do you think that schools and undergraduate programs can kind of help to support freshmen or, you know, first year college students, people who are enrolling in the university, like did your school have anything to kind of help y'all students transition or was that y'all's role to kind of be the person to help ease them in a little into at least the one class that you were TA for them or what do y'all think? Yeah, well that last part really because <laughs> yeah. they so first of all, them choosing one of our classes, I I was TAing for an African American history like basic level class. Um, and this is a requirement for them. Like the, what was, what was the requirement name? Like ethnic studies, I think yeah. it was like ethnic science or something like that, where they have, they all have, all the first year students have to take it. It's mandatory, but they don't yeah. have to take that specific class, but it has to be like under that umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. So they are very fresh out of high school. And so part of our job is like teaching them how to write and also helping them like understand how like the university works, how like, I don't know, there's just so many like little things that I also think is put on us as TAs because the professors don't see and speak to very often their own students. And we spent more time with these students than the actual professors. Um, so, and I also think, I don't know, I'm not a professor, but from what I gathered, I think a lot of professors don't really take into account how much these students are like, like this whole environment is new for them. Um, so finding their place here is like a whole thing. But then just like, how do you write a paper? How do I do an assignment? Like, what is etiquette in this world? I feel like that is a lot of what we have to do. And so we also become mentors in a lot of ways to them as well. And especially Black students at a PWI. 
yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had more to add to that. It was a, a sort of disconnect, mm-hmm. I felt, or maybe it was just because of the professors that I worked under. <laughs> but I feel like it was a sort of disconnect with the the way that they, you know, after you've been out of school for a while, I'll just say that you forget how much you have to adjust, mm-hmm. especially like not only are these students coming off of a pandemic, like not being at school, <laughs> public education, a lot of these these like students are coming from public schools that are just not really funded well. They're coming from r- rural towns, small towns in Wisconsin. A lot of them have never, uh, I mean, we're, we both taught in Afro-Am, so we're teaching content that they've never even like interacted with Black people before. And now they're getting taught by Black people. They're reading Black content, like about Black history, Black literature. Like it's just so much that a lot of these professors, because they've been teaching this content for so long or uh, they're so, I mean, they do research in this and they're so far removed from going to school and like learning it on the, the base level and being students in that way like and from undergrad and coming out of high school like at that very base level they forget like how much time and energy you need to one learn and two retain three write about it and I mean not saying that I'm not gonna speak on behalf of them to say that they don't care but a lot of uh, the drawbacks of working at the university level is academia doesn't really provide anybody the amount of time because it just so fast to really sit and give that one-on-one kind of um, care and attention to all of these students, especially at a school as large as UW-Madison, because at least, I think I can speak for both me and Adriana, like both of our classes were very large, like we had over 50 students at least in both of our classes, like um, the professors just weren't seeing their students and if you think about they're teaching multiple classes they're teaching grad level and undergrad classes they're doing their own research they just whether or not they want to they just don't usually have the time to sit down and think about whether or not they're really connecting with their students and a lot of the times they're not making the effort (laughs) the effort to try either so you get this you get these TAs like us who are in this kind of liminal space of having to be these mentors to these students. And I'm not sure how it is at every school, but at UW, we weren't really, I mean, we had a couple meetings, but we weren't, we were kind of just thrown into the fire. <laughs> um, I I had to call on my people from WashU and be like, hey, <laughs> I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. I am scared. I'm not prepared. I don't know. I've never taught before. Obviously, I I know literature. Like, I know how to read a book. (laughs) I know how to read. (laughs) I know how to read. I know how to do research. Like, I know how to think critically. I'm obviously a grad student, but teaching is a whole different ballgame. Like, if you're trying to be an instructor, and obviously, like, I care about these students, like, getting this this information and, and having this, this good experience with this class, especially because you're thinking about, again, these students never really reading this, this material before interacting with this material. Um, not necessarily because they didn't want to, just because, I mean, Wisconsin is just such a, <laughs> 
Sorry, Wisconsiners. Wisconsin is a white <laughs> ass state. Sorry. Wisconsin is a very, very white state. It's not diverse. And a lot of these students are just coming from these very small rural towns. In Wisconsin, they just don't have the exposure. And even if whether or not they wanted to, they don't have the exposure. We all know how these very conservative school districts, towns operate. They get into these classes and then you feel like you have this moral dilemma of if I don't run this class well because you are seeing these students more than the professor is because you have these one-on-one small discussion sections that you have to run that are apart from this this large lecture. If I don't run this discussion section well, are these students going to get this material that you feel like is vital to being them being good citizens in the world? So I'm just calling anybody that I know, like, how do I run this class? Because they're not equipped. They're not equipping me. Like, that's just how academia is just like, go, 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 go so much that it's just, it's detrimental to its own setup. It's just like, nobody is stopping to breathe and to prepare anybody. So it's like, you try to be a good mentor, but we're also like grad students and we're not getting support from them. And there, I don't know what support that these first year students had, but it didn't really seem like they had much because every time the students had questions about how to write papers, everybody would just, I would be like, what can, what can these students do other than coming to me and me working one-on-one with them, go to the writing center. I'm like, everybody is going to the writing center on campus. The writing center is, I'm sure, just overwhelmed. So it's just like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. And if you think about a school as large as UW, I mean, UW is, is a large public research law institution who that has a lot of resources it's just like I don't know what what more they can do yeah I also want to say like the pandemic like (laughs) there were so many ways that that changed how we teach and what yeah you know we have Mm -hmm. to pay attention to students you know we have to change our syllabus like if a student isn't in class because they have to test like we have to create some sort of you know procedure or follow some policy to make sure they get what they need but also like do we count them as absent does this penalize their grade and oftentimes we're left up to whatever the professor of that class has decided already sometimes we might bypass that to benefit the student because they can't really help if they get COVID or not but like also I want to say like my thesis was on how the pandemic and anti-blackness at a national level global level was affecting black women students and like there everybody that I was in interviewing was just like there's not enough support for us as students like and it needs to come at an institutional systematic level y'all can't keep telling us to take take care of ourselves and prioritize self-care when it's like systematically is not set up for us to like be good so as TAs it's like we kind of have to finesse the system to somehow help our students and like so much make a way out of no way truly and we can only do so much as TAs and the professors have to kind of choose like are they going to (laughs) you know just go along with how the university is doing things are they going to change things so as a TA our like role to be able to help students is kind of like what's the word like it fluctuates it's not yeah. like, there's no consistency to like how you yeah. do it or even if they try to help y'all it's like every situation is just very different and then yeah while they're talking it reminds me a lot tyler thinking of 
students or teachers who student teach and how mm-hmm. like during that time it's just so you literally have no idea like mm-hmm. you're thrown into the fire you have to figure it out because mm-hmm. eventually you're getting graded on it and you're going to graduate and be leading this classroom ideally mm-hmm. so but at the same time you don't have control over the classroom right but you still exactly. have to, like, responsibility still and right. you're responsible for getting a grade and making sure students are learning specific things or that lessons right. go this way and there's so many factors that are out of your control it's just like well how can i make this job as easy as or as easy for myself as i can but also to benefit the kids and the work that you do because before mm-hmm. anything else y'all are students and learners like y'all went to grad school because you care about this stuff nobody's doing this for fun it's not fun (laughs) if nothing else like it's not fun and I get that as a grad student also but it's just really interesting Mm -hmm. to hear like there are so many problems that we can I can relate to coming from the elementary level early childhood level Tyler at the high school level and then y'all still at the collegiate level we're all facing these same exact issues they're just different ways that we have to try and figure them Mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm. And I would just also like to add, I sat and watched both of these two lovely ladies defend their thesis. Is that how you show that? Yeah. Plural? Yes. I watched both of them defend their thesis and they did that. So they know what they're talking about and they know how to like fix this, at least in their bubble, you know, in our little Mm -hmm. bubble, like, a lot of the time, I feel like as Black women, our knowledge is looked down or it's played down. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We know what we're talking about. We know what we're talking about. We know that it's an issue. We know how serious this issue is. We need people to care just as much as we do to really fix it. Black women can't fix the world. <laughs> we can't. Yeah, true. I just feel like a lot of people get really jaded, especially in academia. Like, it's such a it's such a toxic place. <laughs> like, yeah. that... Being a TA, like teaching in, at the collegiate level really showed me like I really I really enjoyed it so much more than I thought it, I would. And that is obviously I keep I keep saying like if the world is about to end, I'm not going back for my PhD. Like it's just not happening. I'm not going to spend the last of the years on earth like being stressed out in school but like the the one thing that I'm like I really enjoyed teaching and I enjoyed like seeing my students grow across the semester both semesters like I enjoyed like seeing them enjoy learning and talking about the books that we were teaching or that I was teaching on but I hated being a TA I hated not having control over the classroom and I hated um seeing like academia is so toxic that it just sucks the life out of these people like it makes them not care about people it makes like the humanity of educating and teaching and learning it takes all of the life and creativity and like happiness that enjoy that you get out of doing research and mentoring and imparting knowledge like all the things that people get into the profession for all of the the system, like the toxicity of the system of academia literally sucks it out of me. Like if it could just be me with the lesson plan and the students who care in the classroom, like it would just be so much better. Isn't because... that everybody's dream? Exactly. Right. Exactly. We, that, <laughs> Tyler, okay, Tyler. Okay, tell me, like tell me which <laughs> students you would like to put in that AP. I mean, your AP stats kids usually want to be there. 
with that algebra class, those geometry kids, like that's what you want in the ideal world. But it's not even the kids' job. Well, at the collegiate level, it's a little different because like but you're it's, there because you're paying money. About, but... It's not about the students. It's, I mean, you get some students, especially in college, you, get, you know, you get the students who are just taking it for the. It's not really about the students who are there who don't care because they usually don't. I mean, yeah, it's, you get some students who are problem students, whatever. They're adults. They do what they want. If you don't want to be here, get out at, co- at college. You can say that. <laughs> if you don't want to be here, get out because you pick your schedule. So whatever. But um, it's really about the adults who make everything so difficult. I'm just like, y'all, y'all got in here because you claim to care about teaching. You came to care about mentoring students. You claim to care about your research. You came to care about all these things. And then you get in here and then you act like nothing matters but your research. Nothing matters but yourself. Nothing matters but all of these little things that don't really mean anything. And then mm-hmm. you see how toxic academia can really be. And then you you start to see that like people don't actually care about the people. You start to see it in the way that people run their classes. You start to see it in class policies. You start to see it in the way that people talk to their students. You start to see it in the way that people talk to their colleagues. You start to see in the way people conduct their research. Like, it's just like, do I want to be here anymore? It's never about the work. It's always about everything else. Well, at least for me, it wasn't about the work, but everything else made doing the work insufferable. Exhausting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It made it insufferable. Like, I would sit in front of my work or sit in front of my students and I would just be like, I don't want to be here anymore. To add to that, like, what really hit, I think, one of the things that, like, differs from like collegiate to K through 12 is like in the university, like some professors are really only here for their research. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're a professor. So they can get funded to do research. And so the way that they interact with their students, it can be really messed up. Um, but then also us as TAs, like we're the first point of contact for somebody uh, some of these students and it's like we then have to like change the way obviously we are in this for different reasons than those professors but we do that goes into then how we run our discussion section and how we mm-hmm. are towards the student really changes because we don't want them to feel like we're just here because we have to be but like we're really in this and do care about them in more ways. So, yeah. That was um like perfect for you to bring up um the differences from the collegiate level to K-12 experience and that that's where Tyler and I's experience mainly comes from. So are there any other challenges that you think compared to K-12 experience that y'all have to deal with or face more or deal with more at the collegiate level just because, you know, it's a completely different experience there, like with how kids go to college and the classes that they're taking and things like that. So just what are some of the challenges that you think differ from K-12 experience and collegiate experience, teaching experience? I mean, I think it's just also the the fact that they are they are in charge of their own academic endeavors, which is very different from K through twelve. Like, obviously, high school is a little bit different because they have a little bit more, a little bit more um, control over you know whether or not they're going to school because they can you know they're probably in charge of getting themselves to school in on, in some capacity sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. <laughs> 
trying to teach class when your classroom is a little empty. It's very hard, very hard. And especially like during the pandemic, you want to give people grace, but you also want to have structure to your classroom. And it's like hard to do that with adults because you have to keep in mind that these are not kids. Like I always say kids because they're they're first year students and they're still young. A lot of them are 17, 18. Some of my students were 19 if they were sophomores, but I tried not to say kids because they're adults technically. And it's hard to kind of provide that structure during a pandemic while they're adults you know I was a student I've always told them you know I was a student once I was a first year student I used to go out and party but you know you gotta come to class if you want to you gotta be in charge of your own education these are the terms but I know it's a pan it was a pandemic people are sick people are caring for other friends family members what have you also, like Adriana was saying before, like certain professors were cognizant of that. Certain professors weren't. And it was kind of hard as TAs not having control over the policies to be like, OK, how am I still going to have structure adhere to their policies, which we were mandated pretty much to do, while also like understanding that we as like caring people wanted to bring humanity into the classroom and understand that this was like something serious that was ongoing you know people wanted to keep sweeping the pandemic under the rug over and over and over especially at the institutional level um so it was hard i guess in that sense because you know to bug people to be like come to class come to class but you also you know want to be like hey is everything okay you don't have to be here but you kind of do because you signed up and you signed you know you got the syllabus which is technically a contract here's the professional here's the professional jumping out so, yeah, I just, it was really hard for me to be like, hey, you know, trying to provide structure, but also trying to make sure that you're okay. I also want to say, like, because we're TAs, they look at us, some of them, a lot of them look at us and are like, oh, you're just a student like me. And mm-hmm. they will try to work that. Um, and they'll use that as an excuse to not talk as much in class or to just like, not respond to us when we're speaking on them and calling on them. I literally had one girl, I called on her in class because she literally never talked. And I was like, y'all, I don't want to call on you. No, everybody was quiet. So I called on her and I asked her a question and it was an easy question. Like we had already talked about it. She kept staying silent. She didn't respond to me. No. I'm like, no, she's a head empty. No thoughts. No thoughts. <laughs> like, what? But they will look at us and be like, well, you're just another student like me. So I can act however I want. I can try to work you to get a better grade. I can speak to you however I want. So um, it's more difficult to like obtain respect yeah with like true students. respect because they mm-hmm. they didn't care as mm-hmm. much because they saw themselves more like your peers absolutely and yeah i also think that like because this class was just like a random requirement that they had to fill some people were just like i'm just not i don't really care so i'm just going to disregard you and like do whatever i want and get the grade and get out type of thing um, yeah, and I also think with the content of our classes being Black History or Black Lit, a lot of times we are just working to bring these a lot of these white students out from shock 
to having a discussion. Because again, like Mm -hmm. Taylor said, like these are citizens. Like (laughs) we have to shape them in very specific ways because we feel like if we don't, who will? (laughs) And also you're just going to keep believing whatever you believe if we don't like try to form you and have generative discussions that, you know, break down these false narratives you have about Black people and Black history. And so, was I, so hard. Yeah. it was so hard. And obviously, right now, the time we're in with all of these discussions about CRT and people not knowing what CRT is and, you know, in K through 12, that whole thing that's going on, like, it is just like, once you get these fully formed, like, 18 year olds, we have to do some of the things that the, you know, the system would not allow for them to actually know about Black history. But now we have to, like, do so much more work than just, like, this thing happened on 1932. And what did Toni Morrison say in this book? Like, we have a lot of, like, very specific work we have to do in these classrooms. Yeah, yeah, that it was so hard. Like, and even like, (laughs) this is gonna sound so silly, but in the age of social media, and all these, this language that these, these students are getting from TikTok, Instagram, infographics, that they think they know everything about everything and they're using terminology wrong and they are just, they think they know things about things and it's wrong. And you're just like, it's so great that you're, you're in it and you're interested, but like how, especially as first time instructors, like how do we talk about this thing that you saw in, in the, on the internet in social media that's not really really connected to the book other than it's about black people <laughs> other than it's about black people which they did all the time which is it goes back to the, the 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 point about you you just feel like okay if they're bringing it up and you feel like if they're not going to get if they're getting if they're bringing it up here and if we don't talk about it here are they are they going to talk about it anywhere else in a, in a structured way with somebody who's informed? So you just want to talk about it. And then you just don't talk about your lesson anymore, which is like, oh, but whatever. So you just spend time trying to figure out how do you take all these random things that they are bringing up, like CRT, which might not be in the bluest eye, but they like, oh, yeah. And then. CRT and intersectionality and all these things and I'm like yes but no but y'all are using all of this wrong and y'all don't know what this means but how do you talk about it how do you how as a like a first-time instructor do you try to reframe and reshape and have them think critically about what they're like all of this language that they're getting from the internet all this like fast fast knowledge that they're getting in all of these different ways and it was just very hard, especially because it was, I mean, everything that happened in 2020, the summer of 2020, they were, I mean, kid, they were still in high school at that time. So they were, I'm sure, very much in the social media realm world at that time. So they're just, they were just immersed and so many of them were just eager to be which was good because they were like intrigued but it's also like that's that's some stuff that they don't tell you how to prepare for when they give you this training the day that we had the little afternoon the short training that we had on how like how how do we how do we do this it was just very it was very hard it was interesting in trying to get respect from them as well because you you want them to like you enough to to be coming to class 
and to be engaged, but you also want to to have respect. And a lot of them, my second semester, they thought I was an undergrad. And I was like, no, sweetie, I'm not. <laughs> Not they literally up until the end of the semester they was like oh you're not an undergrad you're not you graduated from your master's with your master's and i was like yes y'all thought i was with y'all yeah <laughs> you thought i was one of you <laughs> i'm an alien they was like, oh, okay. exactly <laughs> i was like uh-uh uh-uh no i'm not because wow. like, my second semester students, they was they was always trying to get well. My one that one class, they was always trying to get so close to me. I was like, no, I'm sorry, I, was like, I can't. We too, cl- no, no. You but, said yeah, I got a it was, it was right. Y'all can't be doing all this, <laughs> bro. They was like, they was trying to come to the defense of everything. Like, no, no, absolutely not. No, they were they were very sweet. I really enjoyed teaching them. But you get it was yeah. I mean, I'm sure Tyler, you know, teaching high schoolers. <laughs> the struggle but when you teach older students that are closer in age with you you have that struggle of trying to get respect in that way yeah especially when sometimes i walk in the building and kids they go to the other school like oh good luck on your test today and i'm like what test i'm like i am not here to take these regions i'm literally proctoring it please (laughs) but you talking about that closeness I know that it it has to be different like at the collegiate level than it is in a high school setting or in a younger setting. But again, talking about that like closer age range, like as soon as the kids are like teens, they're willing to get super weird with you uh, and share real weird stories and call you potatoes and all these other weird and random things. But I was wondering, like, are you do you get the opportunity to form these bonds with your students at this level or Do you feel like you wish you had more of a chance to actually like create a classroom culture and get to know your kids more? We've talked about this a lot already, but there is this illusion of choice that you and an illusion of control. Um, But we don't get control. and We don't get a lot of choice about the classroom space. So I I wish that we had more of that as TAs because I definitely think it would help the bond. But I also think there were like particularly like there's one discussion section where I was like this. I'm so grateful for you guys because we really like all y'all are here for really good reasons. Like y'all want to learn like y'all are ready to be in this and write these papers and like y'all want to learn. And so I got to form a lot of like amazing bonds with that section but then also like there was some particular like black students who was like okay we're connecting on a very different level and like I was really grateful to like get those bonds with those students and like I think those students particularly like they keep that desire in me to continue like educating or teaching in some way um whether that's in you know I don't know if I'm going to go back to academia but in some in some form or fashion, I want to continue that because of them. So, yeah. Okay. It wasn't all bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really did like that one that one section. I would say yes. I think it, it definitely got easier for me the more that the, that I taught, uh, like, as the year went on. Um, I will say that I tried my best to try to cultivate by, like, asking them, like, trying to break the ice, like, asking them questions that weren't related to school because the re- reality is we just didn't have a lot of time like 
the difference between teaching at the K through 12 level and TAing or just teaching at the collegiate level in general is like you get them for the semester and they're out. So unless you really form a really good bond with a student and you get to see them in multiple classes that you teach, you really don't get that chance, right? So or if they don't like if a student didn't really come to my office hours, I didn't really get the chance to to really talk to them on that one on one level because I'm teaching four different sections. It's 20 students in each section. Like we only meet once a week. Um, but I I really did try. I really enjoyed when we got to talk, when we we went got off script, we were, were talking about stuff that did not have anything to do with the class in our little 45 minute session. Um, and I think it does, it does really help with getting the students to, when we do regroup to, to be engaged with the material, um, because they just feel more comfortable talking to you. They feel like they want to, to learn more. They want to read, or even if they did, like, I would get some of my favorite students, they would be like, look, I did not read all of the chapters. But the stuff that I did read, I will talk about because I care about this class and I care about you. So I'm going to try my best. And in turn, I would be like, you know what? That's fine. Do what you can. We're going to we're just going to be on a roll here. So I feel like trying to cultivate the bond helped a lot with the just the flow of the classroom. And it was really fun to try to get to know them um, and to see them grow. Okay. thank you. I also wanted to add, because Wartier is on the one side when I was saying, like, some of them will try to take advantage of you because they see you as closer in age to them. I also think as TAs, we got sort of like, there was sort of this opening that we could be more real with them than they could get with their professors. And so, like, whether that was like before class or in a little like tangent, like, we could just talk about like real things that were happening in the world or somebody would say something funny or we would talk about a new movie. Um, and so like those things, like Taylor was saying, like definitely help that bond. Um, and also or, just made I mean, it more fun. Yeah, go ahead. On the flip side, I had a lot of students feel more comfortable opening up to me about stuff that they were struggling with, yeah. like more seriously that they weren't comfortable coming to the professor about. Yep. Um, and whether or not I always made sure to ask, like, is this something that you want me to mitigate between you and the professor, whether it was an altercation? that they have with another student or an issue that they were having with a professor or just something that they were dealing with with their personal life. I feel like trying to cultivate those bonds with those specific students, whether it was just learning all of their names, all 80 of them, trying to make sure I knew who they were, matching names to faces, even under those masks when they were wearing them, (laughs) Um, whether it was just trying to ask questions that act like I cared about them uh, outside of the classroom I feel like that really helped them because I had some students who were really I'm not gonna like put their business out there but I had some students who were going through some tough stuff who came to me and I was just like I I I'm just a TA I'm like this is way 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 above my pay grade I will listen to you and I will try to get whatever resources that you need to help. I don't know if you want me to tell the professor or you want me to tell anybody else, but I will 
listen, but they felt comfortable enough to say things to me. And I'm pretty sure Adriana has some similar experiences. But yeah, I do feel like trying to have those relationships, even in that short amount of time, in those um, this just semester contained couple months that we saw them, it does help because I mean, we were all college students, like we go through a lot, especially that first year. So and those professors, like, they just usually, not all of them. Obviously, I had some really, really, really good professors in undergrad who really, really cared about me when I was going through personal stuff. But um, a lot of the times, especially my experience at UW, is that a lot of those professors do not make a lot of time for, I would say, maybe 85% of those professors don't make time for, didn't, did not in the year that I was teaching make a lot of time for the students that I taught. So, um, but they, you do get some students who um, have good relationships with their professors, which I hope um, that they got some support. But um, yeah, you do get a lot of students who feel more comfortable coming to their TA just because we see them more often. And yeah, we, we actually take the time in those discussion sections to try to bond with them in whatever way we can in those 45 minutes every week. Do you want to talk about maybe your most rewarding moment? Yeah, I would say I've already talked about like the Black students being rewarding, but I think what was rewarding was seeing them change like the trajectory of their career, like their academic career because of their interest in the class or because of conversations that we've like continually had over that semester and like see them like choose things that like some of them came in there choosing majors because it would make their parents happy or because they didn't know what they want to do but to find them choose something where they were like no this is going to be better for me or this is more interesting to me or I need to do this for my mental health like those moments were like super super rewarding so yeah that sounds so good like yeah I love that especially knowing that whether it was your interactions directly the material you presented them with the way that you made them feel mm-hmm. like that's the most rewarding feeling in teaching for me like when my mm-hmm. kids really like it means something to them because that's what I'm doing this for I'm not doing this for I mean the school like no <laughs> I give a fuck less I really I'm don't care money. right I'm definitely not here for the money like, I am literally here for y'all and to change your life and so to really be able to get that in the short amount of time that y'all spent like in the classroom I'm really glad to hear that you got to experience that mm-hmm. Tyler do you have something that was like yeah. your most rewarding mm-hmm. I would say mine is similar I would say my most rewarding was um students who were um come to me and ask for book recommendations on the topic that did not have anything to do with what was on the syllabus who just wanted to read more or and also students who wanted voluntarily to take more classes like the one that we were teaching who were like are you going to be teaching who thought that I was actually teaching the class? Are you going to be teaching another class, or is someone such a such professor going to be teaching the class, or is there another class like this going to be offered? Um, obviously, in a class of like eighty plus kids, it's hard to get um, most of them continually 
interested in the material, but when you get like a handful of students who say that, you know, I had no idea that I would have been interested in African-American literature, but I love Toni Morrison now, or like now I want to see what else like Ralph Ellison has to offer, or now I want to read such and such poet, or it's just really rewarding to see like students be interested more or just want to take more classes, which is really what we're in it for just to, to get them to, to want more and to, to do it on their own, even if they're not going to do it in school. So that was really rewarding for me. Well, I love that because I can confirm that when a kid just tells you that they're interested in like what you already are doing, he's like, I want to be a math teacher. I'm like, do you? Like, is that because of me? Um, it's just such a such a rewarding experience when you can like relate on that type of level with the student. Yeah. All right. Last question before we let y'all go. No, I have enjoyed this so much being able to hear y'all's story because I just love hearing about other people's teaching experiences right. and how they differ from mine because they're every journey literally is just so different everyone's like I know so many people who taught the same exact grades as me in the same exact building and our stories are just so different so thank you for sharing it and being as open and as vulnerable as you wanted to be with that um, information because I know a lot of the times it can bring up a lot of feelings you might not even expect to come up sometimes so to end I wanted to ask what are you most grateful for um, from your teaching experience? What did you learn? What is something that you'll take with you from that whole TA experience? What are you most grateful for? Um, I I think I was as much as grad school and academia can bring you down um, and, you know, the environment being toxic. I think there is a certain confidence that I grew in um, in my own person, but also as an educator that I don't know if I would have, would have had if I didn't have that experience. So I'm like very grateful for that. Um, and I also think like the amount, like the unexpected, but not even unexpected, I would say unexpected, the unexpected friendships that come and relationships that come during educating and teaching and like being in grad school like I am so grateful for me and Taylor's friendship like it, I, you better cry um, <laughs> just like you I could have not gone through that whole experience teaching and researching and learning without Taylor like and it just is always hitting back on like you need community and you need people that you can be real with you need people who are encourage you and affirm you in your gifts and like who are willing to go through your journey with you even if they're in a different class or in a different space in life like that just continues to be a lesson I'll forever like be grateful for and like you need your people you need your people so I think those two things were very real Tyler I literally can't talk I'm terrified I will say Obviously, I definitely echo the community aspect. Adriana was my rock, period. I definitely would have dropped out a hundred times over. Um, but 
in terms of like actually in the classroom I really the arts of lesson planning I never ever thought I was going to be able to do that and I did it so many times on my feet you literally did let me just pause and give her a few kudos here because the amount of times that I remember when she first like had to <laughs> when you had your first like class you were teaching wow. for and you called me and you were like I need to come up with a lesson plan. I'm like, okay. And you're like, what has to be on it? I'm like, I literally had <laughs> Like, she was My- so confused. I'm like, you know what you're doing. Like, and just because naturally, like the way that Tyler thinks about stuff and, you know, like thinks through questions and takes notes when you're reading, I'm like, just take what you already know and turn it into your lesson. Like, you don't have to overthink it, but that goes back to like the, y'all didn't know. You're not teachers. Like, you don't, you don't know the first thing about lesson planning when you've never, <laughs> to put together a lesson Girl, plan but every lesson-, lesson plan was so it was three pages long <laughs> i mean not the first day because the first day it was just going over policies but the first day i taught content i didn't know what i was like was i teaching a three-hour seminar what was i preparing for and you literally will do that all the time like did i think i had three hours no you have 15 minutes make it stick <laughs> <laughs> that's all you got I definitely, I, I think, I guess I will echo what Adriana said in terms of like confidence in my own abilities and uh, being able to be in front of a classroom. And I think one thing that I think it was maybe Fenderson, Professor Fenderson told me when I called him in a panic, <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. Um, he was like, you need to remind yourself that you have a degree already. You know more than anything these students, even if these students have already read the books absolutely, that you are teaching, you know more than anybody in this classroom. Yeah. And you, you have to know what okay you're doing with that. And even if I didn't have enough written out in front of me, like I was able to just be like, okay, I can come up with questions off the top of my head because... I know the material. I feel like it also gave me a kind of confidence in my abilities to, in the future, be like a good mentor. I also want to add to that what you were saying, though, because, like, as Black women, we are taught that we're not supposed to be here and that you need to second guess yourself and that everything you're doing is wrong or you are not enough and you don't belong here. And so, like, what you were saying, like, in being able to, like, trust yourself and have confidence in yourself, like, it is really changing. Like, you're like, no, I can talk my talk. I know how to do this. Like, actually, like, I can be on the fly and I can do this and I can instruct these students. Oh, I do know stuff. So it's like that, even though this experience is so hard, like, you do become grateful for it in other ways because you're just like, wow, like, I can do this. Like, I do belong here. Like, I put myself here. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, I I, I saw it in like the ways that I was able to, I I felt like I felt more confident even speaking up in my graduate classes while I was TAing because I just felt so much more comfortable talking in front of people because I was doing it all the time. Or even realizing like how it can transfer over into your personal life. Like you can see you've learned confidence through this experience, but once you've learned it, you can apply it to different points in your life. And so now that you feel comfortable talking in front of people or really feeling like I know what I'm talking about and I have a place in this space, 
that is going to take you somewhere else that, wow, if I would have never had this experience, not saying that the confidence wouldn't have come, but maybe it wouldn't have come when you needed it or in that moment or to help you really grow to get you to the place that you're really trying to get to. Cause this is just a stepping stone. Like, yeah, it doesn't end here, but teaching in a room full of white students. Oh yeah. Being able to speak (laughs) confidently and instruct in front of a room full of white students. Yeah. And at that level, like like, they're not Adriana was saying, like being a black woman in that space and being able to do it confidently and translating that into my grad classes where you are just, it's imposter syndrome galore. It it was a game changer. But I mean, you have, that's a whole different part of the process, right? Yeah. Something you have to fight. Yeah. All right. Well, um, last thing before y'all go. I just want to see just because this is like my little personal thing and I love quotes. Is there like a quote that you would like love to leave us with? I don't know if it's a specific quote, but Taylor can attest to this. Shame will always come for you. And so being able to identify the way that shame is working on systematic levels, but also like if you're a Black person in your personal life, like that is really important in being able to identify where shame is trying to get you in your life so that you can work against it and care for yourself well, especially in these academic settings and these education settings. So always look out for where shame is trying to sabotage your life. Yeah. That was good. That was good. I like that. You all, Adriana, (laughs) y'all are talking about shame. I feel like I need to go sit on your couch and like get a therapy session now. Like, I don't know if that's in the steps for you, but that's what I want to do now. I want to get together. We just—I feel like she be preaching to me. I just be sitting there like, girl, I don't even know. But yeah, I just feel like I will say I feel like TAN is usually a part of grad school. So I would say the tip for graduate student TAs is academia is never going to stop. So you have to stop it like intentionally take your you have to take the break you have to literally pull it from the depths of wherever you when you need it because it's it's not going to come people don't care about your well-being and they will let all of the educational trauma that you have just eat you alive and it will manifest in whatever way it manifests in your life and it will just not be good and they they capitalize off of it and they feed off of it and they will just run you over yes leave you dry yes <laughs> they have no they have they they will take advantage of that i mean that academia is the breeding ground for intellectual trauma and they will take advantage of it so yikes do what you can to steer clear of it whatever you can do whatever you can do that's my advice that's my tip (laughs) if that that includes leaving the profession that's what you have to do if that includes taking a break when it's not uh convenient for other people that's what you have to do but whatever you have to do to preserve your life and your well-being and your own even Mm -hmm. sometimes the quality of your research the quality Mm -hmm. of your classroom do it that's big right there too. some of y'all need to be honest y'all research and y'all classrooms is suffering because you're not taking care of yourselves oh wow oh wow okay. now you're on your couch. that's my fault that's my fault <laughs> 
Okay. Classes and research is suffering because you're not taking care of yourselves. Be honest. Take care of yourselves because academia is not going to take care of you. All right. Well, thank you so much to the both of y'all. This is super important to me to have y'all as the first guest to tell us about your experience and share and really just open up um, about your journey, your struggles, everything in between the most rewarding things. I love to hear all of it because it's it's a journey, literally. <laughs> um, and there are so many different parts of it, but I'm so grateful that y'all were able to share that with us. Yes, thank so. you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having us. No problem. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for allowing us to just talk a bunch of shit about our <laughs> um, In the middle of your shit talking, though, do you want to do like a, both of y'all kind of actually... I'm going to shamelessly plug y'all a little bit. Worked on a project at your school that oh. is going to be a huge thing. And <laughs> I am extremely proud of both of y'all for. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the project that y'all worked on and that's opening up? And if people are listening to this, not us talking so much shit about the school and then talking about this one. I mean, this but it's, it goes in with the work that y'all do. Like, people yeah. need to learn and hear and, you know, see about yeah. the true stuff that's happening. It, the work, it goes that with that. <laughs> <laughs> not the shit talking part so that you can put in the. <laughs> No, well, cut the, the last part. But yeah, go oh, ahead, yeah, assistant it. director. Right, assistant director. Tell us, feel. tell us about the exhibit you're curating. So, actually, Adriana and I both co-curated this um, ex- museum exhibition that is opening on September 12th officially. Uh, while we were still graduate students, we worked as project assistants um, for about a year and a half. While we were doing our graduate studies, it's a project called the Public History Project at UW-Madison that focuses on marginalized histories uh, over the course of the history of the institution. And the museum exhibit is called Sifting and Reckoning, UW-Madison's History of Exclusion and Resistance. And it's focusing on talking about uh, marginalized people at the university, so students, faculty, staff. Um, who face exclusion and found ways to resist through um, protests, through organizations that were created, through other means of, you know, resistance. Um, so we conducted, we as in the team, the people who worked on it, the graduate student and undergraduate student researchers, um, and the other curators on the team uh, conducted oral histories, um, the other academic research uh, archival documents at the university archives, um, and it's culminating in a museum exhibit that is at the Chazen Museum of Art, which is on UW's campus. It is free and open to the public, and it does not close until December 23rd. So come through to UW-Madison and look at what me and Adriana co-curated at the Chazen Museum of Art, if you have transportation to get to Wisconsin. So, period. Yeah, we, we, we worked on it for a long time. Adriana, you want to talk about what you did? Because you did something very oh, different than what I did. I did the oral history interviews for a very long time, um, mostly of Black women. Um, but it was really amazing. And then obviously, we together with Casey, the director, we worked on curation, writing exhibit, text, looking at all photos, putting it all together. It was really amazing. I, I That was my favorite experience out of all grad school. Like, 
talented. Yeah, shout out Casey. Yeah. I really love Casey. I love the director of the Public History Project. Mm-hmm. Casey, if you're listening to this, that's my girl. Mm-hmm. She is my boss, but that's my girl. She's the best boss. She's so cool. And mm-hmm. she she really is about her work. She mm-hmm. really is doing amazing work at UW. Um, and she really cares about the project a lot. And it, too, is one of my favorite, if not my favorite experience so far. I obviously am now the assistant director of the project, but um, I really enjoy working on the project as a grad student, and I've been enjoying working as an assistant director. Um, I didn't really do that many. I didn't. I only did one oral history, so I did something very different from Adriana, but I, I worked mostly on curating the exhibit and writing the exhibit text um, and stuff like that, so um it's being installed as we speak well not today because it's the weekend i'm pretty sure they're they're probably taking a little break but it's being installed right now and it looks beautiful the vinyl is up and it's just to see all this the work that we did be like come to fruition on the walls is really amazing and I hope that a lot of people come through to see you know a lot of voices that usually aren't heard or histories that haven't been told because they've just been buried in the archives um be put on display for a couple months in this very creative and diligent and thorough way because we really tried to do our best and stand true to the history and um being thoughtful about how we're presenting people's stories on the walls so come through come through follow us on instagram because that is part of my job is running the instagram what's the instagram at uw public history project isn't there also going to be like a whole digital online thing so if you can't come in person please check out the website um the website is reckoning.wisc.edu reckoning.wisc.edu i can't wait to check it out i'm going to try and I know I'm going to go at least once, but I'm going to try and at least get up there twice before yeah. um, it closes because I am so Honestly, proud of you. nobody has an excuse not to look at the digital website. <laughs> All you got to do is click the link. And we're going to make link. sure that we link this as well as the social media so that if you missed it, you will. You'll see it now. Please, if you love us, me and Adriana, Adriana, like, literally puts so much fucking work into this project. Like, please. All right, pop culture segment for this week. Do you have any music? Anything you want to share you've been listening to? Um, uh, yes. So, okay. So I want to share uh, In the Kitchen, which is a song by Renee Rapp. Renee Rapp um, is from the show Sex Lives of College Girls. She's the blonde one, Layton. Okay. And then um, she was also Regina George in Mean Girls on Broadway at one point. Uh, and I just really like that song. <laughs> Okay. She's <laughs> good. Um that and then right before we start doing this, I was seeing the song Beach House that's like Carly Rae Jepsen and some other people that I don't remember their names. But the oh, I don't even know if I really like the song. But at the end, or like there's that one point where she's like, I got a beach house in Malibu. I'm probably going to hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. But then we get towards like the end of the song and like they say, I have somehow somewhere else and something else. The, what part is that? I got a lake house in Canada. I'm probably going to steal your organs. And oh, that has what? stuck with me on no, this no, no, day. No, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the lyric. That's very random. And I don't want you to listen to that anymore. 
I like I'm a hundred percent am gonna listen to it again because that is so funny. Wow. Okay. Go off. Who did you say that was about? Carly Rae Jepsen? It's Carly Rae Jepsen and somebody else. Carly Rae Jepsen is not the one that says she has a lake house in Canada. It's okay. somebody else. Okay. Love that for them. Hope they don't find or have any organs. Whatever they doing little, in that lake house in Canada. I think it's just a jokey joke. <laughs> okay. Interesting. I have no song okay. or music. Nothing new, I should say. I'm still still vibing. Okay. Same tunes over here. That's if right. I can pick a song off the Renaissance album, though, and I'm not even going to pick a song. I'm literally just going to give you a few seconds. Okay. The most, like, I don't even know if I want to call it powerful, but it just gets me going. Uh-huh. That little transition from Cuff It to Energy, mm-hmm. my God genius it is very genius very seamless man oh man it is good like whenever i need just a little bit that gives it to me like if i just listen to that part i'm gonna get whatever i need and just Mm -hmm. finish energy because it's only like what two minutes it's very short yeah but that little transition right there that's enough for me every time so if you don't appreciate that go back and listen to it a couple of times and i'm i promise you will tv shows yeah do you have something one show that I watched literally this morning because I couldn't sleep at the wee hours of the morning. I am in the midst of watching In the Dark, which is a CW show Mm -hmm. that you also, of course, tell me about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really like In the Dark because I like, how would you describe my TV taste? Uh... I was gonna say dark. Uh, I was was gonna say like grittier. Um, Mm. How would I describe your TV taste? I think it's best understood to just say like Law and Order SVU. Uh, Law and Order SVU is my favorite show in the whole world. It just I've seen every single episode. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it just like encapsulates like the vibes in which you enjoy to watch the most. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the Dark doesn't give SVU vibes, but no. the darkness is definitely there in the show at times. Yeah, it's definitely a little more gritty, a little more like, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I say that, I just mean like, yikes, these are some very unfortunate circumstances. Yes, I love an unfortunate circumstance. Yes, that's perfect. I love unfortunate circumstances, but... <laughs> <laughs> not, not in like the sad and well I mean it's always right, sad like don't lie but like I like to see how people come out of them a lot of the times is what I'm trying to say you know mm-hmm. like this unfortunate situation but most of the time in a TV show especially they gotta get out of it somehow unless they're gonna kill them all right or like they're gone but even then there's some like spice to that too oh my goodness I, yeah that that's my vibe and in the dark is good check it out it's on like what season three now but um it is ending i think uh, is this not the fourth one yeah girl this is the end the end <laughs> don't tell me that you know what don't I tell I me that already new thorn in the darkest ending. <laughs> what do you mean? No. Well, one, I thought I told you that already, but like two, like the CW got bought. The CW canceled a whole bunch of its programming. It's rebranding. Have you not seen that like thing where it's like the CW's average audience viewer is a 58 year old. And so like they're about to just change their whole programming to reflect that. What? Yes. And it's like, first of all, 
That can I be am, true. I'm not 58. Secondly, 58-year-olds like mess and drama. So you're doing the wrong thing. Because if the average viewer is a 50, pause. No, because if the person is viewing and it's average, they chose to turn this channel on. So they want to see what's already here. Right. So that doesn't make any sense to me now that I've said that out loud. But anyways, oh, yeah. Man. So like, that's why Riverdale, this upcoming season is going to be the last one, even though it should be the last one. I do want those actors to be free. However, I still find the show very much entertaining. Um, but like that got cut. Uh, Dynasty's ending. Um, Roswell, New Mexico is ending. Um, so a bunch of the a bunch of the Arrowverse properties are also ending. I think they're still just going to be like Superman and Lois and The Flash is ending. Um, what's those? Oh, the Walker Independence. Those people, I think they still exist. But then like Nancy Drew, they got another season. But the spinoff Tom Swift, that ended after the one season. Like, it just really cleaned house on a lot of shows. My problem is you just named too many shows. Like, <laughs> you just named too many shows. I'm just over it. Just forget CW, okay? I don't really like y'all like that anyway. I'm going to be honest. You got too many commercials, if you ask me. Well, the app has too many commercials. That yes. is true. And it's always the same one. Oh, the same one. It's don't like, even get me started. Them at Lifetime, y'all need get, to figure out how to get yourselves together. Give Lifetime me variety. And, please. Ooh, what's the channel that we watched Married at First Sight on? We. Is, it, is that not uh, Lifetime? Is it Lifetime. Lifetime? It is Lifetime. It is Lifetime. I just had to make sure. So I'm like, those commercials, baby, don't tell me add one out of nine. I don't oh. even want to watch the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and there is just so long. It is so repetitive. And then sometimes it'll be back to back the same commercial. Back to back. We've watched this battery commercial, the Shell commercial, six times. In a row. Like, exactly. And that's what really begin me. Like, please diversify this experience <laughs> for me. Like, if I have to watch an ad, please make them different. Please. That's all we ask. You know what? CW, y'all can get rid of In the Dark. I'm about to really bask in these last three episodes because there's three more left. So okay. I'll cry later. Okay. Um, what have you watched? So I like debated what I wanted to say and I still don't know um, if I'm okay. I'm just going to say I watched Pretty Little Liars Original Sin, which is the Pretty Little Liars reboot. And it is not like its predecessor necessarily. Like, yeah, there's still an A and whatnot, but it is, it's very much different. Uh, the feel is very much different, but the feel is going to be different because it, there is a Riverdale connection. It, did I already talk about this show? I can't remember. I feel like we talked about it, but I don't know. Who knows? Honestly, it's fine. I still watched it and now it's done. And I think that it's like done, done. Like, I don't think it's going to come back. Yeah. So I, Hmm. when I was watching it, the way it was being released, I was like, when it first started, I'm like, oh, they're going to try to, you know, you know, milk this and like get another season or whatever. But Hmm. then when they were still releasing multiple episodes per week, I was like, oh no, they're just trying to offload the content. Like, I don't think they're going to bring this back. And the way that it ends, it kind of ends in a meta way where it's like, is it just like done? Um, And honestly, like I had a really like fun time watching it. I don't know like if the end was worth it though, but that's just me. Um, So the other thing that I just find pure joy in is what we do in the shadows. It's so funny and I love it. And it's another Taika project uh, about the vampires of Staten Island and it's great. All right. Sounds good. Any movies? Um, no, because I still haven't gotten around to uh, uh, look both ways. But honestly, by the time this episode comes out, I will have seen it. But <laughs> no, no, no new movies. Me neither. And I also have not like read. I started. I started a new book, 
but I literally read like seven pages before chaos erupted in my family and (laughs) I have not picked it back up since. So I'm not going to even mention that because (laughs) I have no thoughts on it. All right. And that, and that is fine. Yeah, that's good. That's going to be it for this week in the pop culture segment. Um, please make sure to follow us on Instagram (laughs) at Carpet Time Confessions. Follow us on Twitter at CT underscore confession. Please be sure to subscribe if you are enjoying what we are doing. Leave us a review. You listening on Apple, Spotify? Yeah, rate, rate and review us. But only if it's good. Actually, no constructive criticism. I only want compliments. <laughs> only compliments being accepted at the moment. We will let you know when the constructive criticism comes into play. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> so make sure you come back next week to join us on the carpet thanks y'all bye